Welcome to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I'm Christopher Dedian, founder and CEO of Dedian Enterprises, Inc. We are committed to optimize people's performance with tools such as peak performance speaking, coaching, and consulting programs for a worldwide international community. We believe that the only difference between where you are and where you want to be is acquiring the knowledge you need and consistently utilizing that knowledge to become a peak performing individual in every area of your life. Stick around until the end of the show where we will reveal how you can become the next guest on the fastest growing inspirational educational podcast on the planet in 20 to 30 minutes. Let's go. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. I am your host, Christopher Dedian, and today we have Alex Lopez, who is a founder and CEO of New Door Property Transfer and Excel Property Management. Alex, how are you doing today? Hey, Chris, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on. Man, it is my pleasure. Definitely looking forward to jumping into everything that you're doing in the real estate world from your property management, from property transfers, and so on and so forth. But before doing so, I give a real small introduction of who you are, what do you do? Do you mind unpacking that a bit more for our viewers and our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So I own a couple of different companies. I have a, a team that's over at EXP Realty, uh, the Alex Lopez team, and we're in Eastern Pennsylvania, like an hour north of Philadelphia. Uh, and then I have my two main companies are the uh, title company, which is New Door Property Transfer. We build title partnerships with real estate uh, team leaders and brokerages. So if they're looking to add an ancillary service, right, to their current, to their existing real estate business, we can come in, build a RESPA compliant partnership and be able to get them off the ground, generating revenues off of the title business. And then my, uh, my property management business is also here locally. We just got off that off the ground a couple months ago. So it took us a 120 days to hit 100 doors. Um, so we're growing at a really, really fast rate right now. Let's go. So, man, Alex, that sounds very interesting. And let's let's take it a step back from how you kind of started. So what I understand, if you correct me if I'm wrong, is that you started as a real estate broker. You grew your business in, in that end. And then from there, you saw those opportunities of like, hey, let me actually do some investing. Let me do some management, so on and so forth. So tell, tell us the background of how you started in real estate, how long ago it was, and why did you decide to transition into the investing game and the management game in real estate? Sure. Yeah. So I, I started off um, as a real estate agent and then opened my own brokerage, uh, a company called Homeway Real Estate, uh, which we that's the company we're rolling into EXP. Uh, we had a couple offices in there, consolidated everything, built it into a team. Um, so the first couple of years, I just spent really focusing on building that up. But I also wanted to add other ancillary services because anybody who owns a real estate company can tell you it's like, unless you're in that sweet spot and hitting a certain amount of transactions, you're not really making much money, right? Because the marketing is so expensive. Then you have your overhead of employees, transaction coordinator, office manager, whatever it might be. And then you obviously got to pay your agents. So in adding an ancillary service, I, I made a joint partnership or a joint venture with a local title company and ended up figuring out like I was getting ripped off. It wasn't, it wasn't the numbers that they said it would be in talking to other real estate leaders um, that I knew it was kind of the same story for them. So I ended up starting my own title company, hiring my own individual people. And as I found there was more and more of a need, I started to branch out and, and partner with other individuals to, to now what we have now, which is our partnership program, which we make joint ventures with real estate team leaders and brokerages. So Okay. So that is very interesting. Let's take it back from the real estate side of things as the broker, when you when you open your brokerage and you were saying there's that sweet spot of transaction to be like very uh, profitable in that industry. First of all, what is that number of transaction you're looking for and what 
made it that you weren't hitting that or you decided to shift? Is it because the property management is more of a passive game cash flow wise? Is it because just your uh, passion or activity to transition towards that and you liked it more? Talk to me about that about that period in time. Yeah, it was it was more of like just my entrepreneurial mindset, just seeing the need and, and drifting more towards it. So if you're talking about the sweet spot, like if you're if you're not doing a couple hundred transactions, let's say three, four or five hundred transactions, you're not making a lot of money on the real estate side of things unless you have just like a small team, you're paying them a little bit, you're not spending that much on marketing. But anytime you're trying to grow a company, you're burning a lot of cash, right? And that's pretty much what I mean. Is like any team who's trying to grow from that 200, 300, 400, 500, 6, you're, you're, you're spending a lot of cash, you're burning a lot of cash in that, in that attempt to grow just like any other business. So that's why when I, when I had saw the title company and it came just kind of organic, seeing the need for it, I started to transition and focus more on new door property transfer um, on the title side of things to, to grow that company. Okay. And when we're talking about title transfer, explain that to our audience a bit more. What is that exactly? Is it just kind of like lease options? Sure. Is it you, you get like a contract on and you sell it to an investor? Do you hold on to them? What is that? No, exactly? no, no. So, so any, anybody who purchases a, a property has had an experience with a title company, whether it was through an attorney, right? Or, or whether it was through a title company, depending which state that you're in. But essentially a title company is the insurance that covers the past. It doesn't cover the future. So let's say if you're going to go buy a property locally where you're at, when you go to close, it's the title company that did all of the work, right? And worked with your mortgage company and worked with the municipality to transfer the ownership from the old owner to the new owner. In that transfer, there's a title insurance uh, policy that's set into place that essentially protects you from any liens or, or judgments from a previous owner. It might've been not the, the previous owner prior to it, it might've been a previous owner prior to that, right? So let's say like for simple explanation, a roofer comes five years later and said, hey, I did the roof on this house and I never got paid. I had a mechanics lien on it. Well, if the title company missed that throughout their search, the title insurance premium would cover that lead. Hmm. Does that make sense? 100%. So 100%. a lot, pretty much anybody who's purchased a home has had an experience with it. They just probably don't realize it. So like you said, it's, it's a great way to, like, it's, it's a necessity because like you said, if you're buying a property and you don't realize that there is a second lien, a second mortgage, like you said, yeah. a problem, like the example you gave of somebody had done work and hadn't gotten paid or any yeah. type of stuff like that, it's something that's extremely necessary before pulling the trigger. And most of the people when they're buying a property, it's probably one of the biggest investments they're going to do in their lives, the average population let's talk about. So it's definitely interesting yeah. to have that uh, as a as a backup and something that you need to do. Now, yeah. when you got into that, Alex, and you started developing it, talk to me about, about the growth of the business. Like how many employees do you have? What's the vision with this? What's the vision with the property management side of things? Does it coexist? Is it two different uh, segments yeah. of the business? Where are you at with all that? Yeah, it's two, it's two different businesses. I'll answer the first part. Um, initially, we, we uh, got the company off the ground. Uh, got 13 partnerships uh, in like the first six months, right? So we realized we had a need and then we scaled it back. We're about six, seven partnerships right now. And the reason we scaled it back is because we got better at our vetting process, right? Some partnerships were profitable, but they weren't the right partner for us. They wanted to control everything. They wanted to go out, hire salespeople, all of that stuff. And then some of them just weren't that profitable. So we needed to get a little bit better. So like what any business is trying to, is trying to grow, you hit the ground running, you have, you spike up. 
and you're going to, you're going to dip a little bit as you have some growing pains, right? You hire the right managers. You, you thought it was the right manager. You fire mm-hmm. that individual. Then you hire the person who's actually a good manager for it. Right. So in all those growing pains, we scaled some of it back. And now we're at the process again, where we have more partnerships that are starting to come on board again. We have some contracts that are out there waiting for the attorneys to get them back to us. So we can start the process of opening some of these partnerships. So I love the way that you kind of explained the hiring process in a very like short way. And I want to unpack that a bit more. And something I believe, and I truly talk about with my executive uh, C-suite one-on-one coaching clients is the ideology of looking as your business as almost like a child, right? In the beginning, you're in that infant stages. It's kind of beginning. You don't know if you're going to make it. You're kind of crawling. Then you get to a point that you start succeeding and you're growing and you become like teenager stages, right? Then you start hiring. It's kind of awkward. You're like, you're definitely making money, but you're spending it as fast because you're hiring and you're putting the systems and processes in place. Now that's the point that you were kind of alluding to. Then obviously comes to the maturity aspect when you're fully grown, everything's got the shape, you're kind of perfectly oiled and running and just making great revenue. Now that's the ideal way to look at it. Now, in regards to the business, when you said of like, hey, I started hiring somebody, noticed it wasn't the right person, switched it up and so on and so forth, which is the teenager stages of a business. How do you go about hiring or finding the right people for the positions? And what was that experience of hiring somebody, noticing that it wasn't the right person and switching it up? So what do you speak to the teenager stages of the growth of a business? Sure. I think, I think every business, if you look at it in that, in that sense, right, if you're talking about a teenager, all, everyone matures at a different rate, mm-hmm. right? So like a, a teenager might be extremely, uh, somebody who's 15 might be very much more mature to somebody who's 17, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're traveling at their own pace. And with us, when having a business that in six months, you get so much influx of, of new clients and you're running around and figuring everything out, you, you might tend to keep the individuals that might've been good at the age of 15, but not good at the age of 17. Mm. But all of that happens in such a quick time period. So because you're moving so fast, you're focused on trying to continue to grow the business and you kind of, you take your eye off the prize a little bit on the personnel. So as the dust starts to settle and you start to stabilize, you realize who's actually good and who's really not that good, who's carrying the weight and who's pulling the team down. I, first of all, I love the fact that you added upon that analogy in the regards to the maturity. So obviously somebody that's, let's call it teenager 15 could be more mature than somebody that's 17. So that understanding of, like you said, any business, you could start off a business and in six months you could blow up just like you start a business and it takes you maybe three years before blowing up. So everything Absolutely. is, there's a perspective and different uh, time frame for everybody. Now, granted, you mentioned something else that I wanted to highlight. Maybe you hired somebody at the point that you were maybe in the infancy stage, which was the right person. But as you're growing into teenager phases, like this person played their role to get us to this point, but cannot play the role to get us to the next point. So when it comes to a situation like that, are you just in a situation of firing, repositioning, hiring somebody else? How do you go about approaching that and really spotting it of like, hey, this is something I need to uh, look at or kind of do a quarterly review from the employees? Like how do you go about approaching all that aspect? Yeah, so that's a good question. And, and I have an answer for you. In, in a lot of companies, right, as, as you start to grow, you want to systemize things, right? Like you might put in performance reviews, let's say, right? But as a, as a newer company where people are juggling multiple things, a performance review kind of really doesn't work, but you still want to have a review. I look at it as more of a capacity review. 
when I sit down with you, I'm not looking at the so much the X's and O's. I'm looking at the game plan of how can you, how much can you truly handle on your end versus versus how much I think we're going to need you to handle in the next six months. And that's when I start to look at, all right, this individual has reached their capacity of what they can handle now and what I'm able to teach them, right? Because if I can go out and teach you and help you grow your capacity, I'll, I'll keep you. I'm always a fan of keeping individuals that are always doing the right thing for the company and have been with you a longer, a longer time and have that passion for you, right? It, it breeds into that culture. But if I can't teach you and help you expand your capacity of what you can handle, then I know that I've got to start looking to replace you. Nice. It's not a personal thing. It's just for me, whenever I, whenever I go to ask the question of if I need to replace somebody is, is this replacement the best thing for the company? That's how I always make my decisions. Is me doing X the best thing for the company. And a lot of times when you make decisions, you're going to be wrong, right? That's just part of business. You're going to be wrong but it's the intention behind that decision that matters. I love that. Okay. So first and foremost, the fact that you're approaching with an intention to like, Hey, what is the goal towards this and setting that intention before doing the move and understanding that, listen, as an entrepreneur, I would say 90% of the time you're wrong, but it's understanding how you go about those wrong decisions and move on forward. And I love the fact that you kind of looked at the employee as what is their growth capacity? How much are they willing to take on? Or is it somebody that's stagnant and this is the position and that's, that's all before moving on? Uh, Alex, I would like to talk about next the real estate market. I think we would do it a disservice if we don't kind of highlight it. And let sure, me just put, sure. yeah, and let me just put a caveat right now as we're recording this, this is July 14th. So the information that we're going to give is current to what's happening right now. Uh, so obviously right now we're seeing a huge influx in regards to mortgage, uh, percentage. If you want to get a mortgage, we're seeing yep. there's some kind of fluctuation that's happening with anything when it comes to the investment side of the market, not only in real estate, but we're seeing it in the, uh, Bitcoin, the, uh, we're seeing it in the stock market and so on and so forth. And now being on the latter end of the pandemic, the global pandemic that we've been through for the last couple of years, there's a lot of people saying we are going through a recession. Now, there's a lot of people that have that fear, especially in North America or United States, of what happened in 2008, and they're kind of correlating it that it's potentially the same thing. What can you speak to that? Are we going towards the same thing? Are there the same signs that were there before 2008, like 2006, 2007, and beyond? Or is this something completely different? Is just a stabilization? We're just kind of hitting a little flat point, dip point, or there should be, or can be, and this is speculation, but there can be a potential bigger uh, situation waiting for us around the corner. Yeah, none of the signs show that it's going to be any kind of crash, right? I think people hear recession because it's the it's the most recent thing to think about. Um, you're thinking housing crisis, mm-hmm. recession and housing crisis aren't the same thing, right? So yeah, is it a recession where GDP slips for two consecutive quarters? Yeah, that's a recession, right? Um, but for overall, it's not a housing crisis. The, the housing market is starting to stabilize as the Fed raised the rates because inventory was so low. But if you look at, at least here in our local market, right, it, and we take the numbers of going back to like 2012, as inventory continued to start to dwindle from one year to the next year, there was never a bigger drop than 1.4 months of inventory from year over year drop, mm-hmm. right? And that's pretty consistent if you look at the market. So as you start to get those smaller drops and inventory starting to go back up, right, you're 
you're, you can't expect the inventory to just spike up right after that because the, the issue in 2018 with all your mortgage-backed securities and people were just getting a loan for having a pulse, that's not the same thing that we're in right now, right? First of all, Americans have more equity than they've ever had in their homes before, right? So there's more finances and resources to tap into, unlike in 2008 where everybody was maxed out, right? They, they didn't have any money to pull from. So we had a lot of money to pull from. And everyone who refied over the last couple of years, their payments are more stable, right? For the cost of living that the current we have right now. So there's nothing that shows that the average consumer is going to start turning over properties. Are we going to see a ticket, an uptick in foreclosures? Yeah, we're going to see an uptick in foreclosures. That's going to be from the individuals that maybe took, you know, the, the forbearance or whatever you want to call it from, from paying their mortgage for the year because of COVID, maybe took a little bit of advantage, refied their mortgages or, or did a mortgage modification. So I think from an investor standpoint, there definitely is going to be opportunity to grow and grab more properties. But from an overall market standpoint, there's nothing that shows that there's going to be a huge crash. So I love the way they kind of broke it down. My next question is, do you think this is just a question of scarcity through media, through lack of understanding, through fear, or is just a lack of proper information and people, like you said, are remembering, which was not too long ago, 2008, and having that fear of like, oh my God, what's happening? I need to hold on to my money. Something's happening or something's coming up. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's always a lack of, I think there's always a lack of education out there, right? And, and education through proper information. Um, I think that that has a lot to do with it and the channels in which individuals look at to take in the media. I mean, it's it's not for anything, but a podcast like this will give you boots on the ground information from individuals that are doing it on a day-to-day basis as, as opposed to a news anchor who's taking in information for whoever's yeah. feeding it, right? Um, so I think that it's just where you're getting your information from and the correct information uh, and that that starts to drive a little bit of fear into into individuals yeah. individuals households because they don't know what to really listen to. It's like traditionally we listen to the media in this manner, but are you really getting the correct information? Yeah. So I love the way that you highlighted that because it is true today day and age in 2022 and for the last I would say half a decade, if not more than that, the job of an individual is not just to take the information or get the information or be in a position to receive information, but be in a position to analyze information at a very high rate, like you said. So once you're receiving the information, you have to look at it with a different perspective of like, hey, just like you explained, uh, a, a TV analyst or a TV broadcaster does not have the same experience of somebody like you in real estate of like you're doing it every single day. Granted, they have their job and they're very eloquent in the way they speak and the way they they kind of make a complicated information is very digestible for the audience, but you still have to take certain things with a grain of salt. And there's certain things that you have to take from them that they know so much more. So I think the main talent or tool to, to develop nowadays is really be able to analyze information because we are way yeah. past the idea of it's an information age. Now we're in an attention age. So if you're trying to, somebody trying to take your attention, you should be eloquent enough to analyze it and make your own thoughts and make your own beliefs with your own values of like, is this correct or not? And so on. Alex, absolutely, I love that. It is clear that you are a successful individual. You're de- definitely very well-spoken as well. Let me just add that in there. G- great interview so far. And there's a lot to learn from all of your successes from one uh, company to another, the real estate world and so on. But I truly believe we don't only learn from people's successes, but we learn a lot from people's failures. And a lot of it, you learn from your own failures. So my next question is, 
What is something within your business right now that you're having a hard time with that you are potentially looking at to optimize more, or you're just having a real, 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 like almost like, oh my God moment, we might fail at this, or there's something difficult, feels a bit hard to short, but something that's very difficult. So what is that one thing that's in your business right now that is going a bit difficult and how do you look at it right now to solve the problem for that? So what's the, the thing in your business that is going a bit difficult and what are your step-by-step processes to potentially start uh, working on that and fixing that situation? Sure. I think, I think for me right now, especially in the transition um, of the businesses, getting out of the spreadsheet. And I think for a lot of entrepreneurs, right, your budget and you'll put together, um, you'll put together forecasts and all this stuff, right? And because you put it on a spreadsheet in your mind, it starts to become real, but it's not the reality, right? So it's like put together the spreadsheet, put together the budget and set the target marks of when you're going to manage yourself to say, hey, are we on track to hit this? Mm-hmm. Are we on track to hit that? Are we on track to hit that? Because I can't tell you how many individuals I speak to about potentially starting together a mortgage company, uh, not a mortgage company, sorry, a title company, and and help get them off the ground and i ask simple questions about the numbers and they have no clue what their numbers are right and i'm guilty of that myself because of the transition that i'm in with my company as we scaled up we flatlined down right we we fixed the processes we fixed the people and now as we start to scale back up is get myself out of the spreadsheets of what we're forecasting and get myself to make sure that i'm monitoring that we're hitting those projected numbers on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. Alex, I love the fact that you highlighted that because that's some of the points that I believe are the biggest pitfalls and difficulties of entrepreneurs, which one of them is not having a goal and a plan for your success, number one, right? The number two within that is once you create that goal, which is in your analogy, you're giving us the spreadsheet, the projection and so on. The second thing is not doing the proper work that is going to make you follow that 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 goal consistently. So what you're saying in, in regards is like you're able to set a, let's say a yearly goal and then break it down to quarterly and then monthly and then weekly. But what do you need to do on a daily basis consistently yeah. that's going to get you one step closer to closing that potential sale, deal, so on and so forth. So really what exactly. we're looking at is what do we, what can we control? And if we're looking at that, then you're going to be able to succeed. So I love the fact that you highlighted that and you're not the only person, brother, like I'm saying, that's something I fall victim to as well. And I'm blessed to have eight coaches and mentors that always spot me within that because as a coach, it's easy to spot it on other people, but I need somebody to spot it on me as well. So I just want oh, to yeah, say, brother, sure. you're not alone on that boat, 100%. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And awareness is the number one thing in that regards. Uh, Alex, so we're coming to kind of, we're, we're coming time to time over here, but before uh, asking you my last question, I want to ask you one before that. Once again, like I said, you're highly successful. You know what you're doing. And I truly believe as this podcast is called the Peak Performance Greatness Show, I truly believe everybody has high level of performance and greatness within them. And I believe the accessibility or the direction towards that greatness and that high performance is your habits and rituals. So I want to know what are some of the daily habits and rituals that you do consistently that make you show up the way that you show up and make you succeed the way you're succeeding? Um, Put everything in my calendar. (laughs) <laughs> like I don't like I'll give you an example. So I I um I uh, uh I ruptured my bicep on a tough mutter, right? Oh, like go. two months ago. And I went this past Monday for it was supposed to be my final follow-up, and I sit down and they go to check me and they're like, Oh, your appointment was for 9 a.m. 
this morning and I was there at four. I said, there's no way. I said, and I said to the lady, I said, there's absolutely no way that I would have booked my appointment at 9 a.m. because I would never book a medical appointment at 9 a.m. And I literally pulled my calendar out and showed her like, this is exactly what I do every day, right? And she looked and they, they had a mix up on their end, right? So it's like, if there's one thing that I do is consistently put things into my calendar so that I don't forget about them. Yeah, I love that. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail, right? Benjamin Franklin. So that is a lot on the aspect of your, your, your agenda and following it. I'm exactly like that. That's something I preach to my uh, coaching clients. And when I'm on stage speaking, 100%, it is yeah. not mandatory, but a 100% necessity if you want to succeed as an entrepreneur. So and I'll, I'll, I'll give you, go for I'll it, give go you for one, one more thing that I think a lot of people on that aspect of it is um, find find the energy that works for you. And I think a lot of people is like, hey, I'm going to get up at 5 a.m. because this person gets up at 5 a.m. and I'm going to do this because it's like I love to work out at nighttime. I don't like working out in the morning, but I love to wake up early and take that time as my Zen time. That's my creative time. That's when I'm able to come up with ideas and game plan for what I'm going to do. Right. I think one of the habits that I'm really, really good at is finding out when my energy is the highest for the particular task that I want to accomplish. So your biological peak time, you have to be aware yeah. of your, how your chrono works, how, what your sleeping pattern is. If you're an early yeah. bird, a late sleeper, whatever, like whatever it is, there's nothing wrong or right. Yeah. Like you said, the goal is not, if you want to be like somebody else, oh, that person wakes up at four or five, I should do the same thing. No. If that is something that works for you, 100%. And it's so funny the way you explained it. And I love the way that you kind of highlighted it. In the morning, your brain waves are so much more active. So you are so much more in a way, in a position to receive information, to consume information, and to retain information at a higher level, and to be highly more uh, creative. So those are the moments in the yep. day that we should lean into that. And brother, I do exactly the same thing, but I actually like working out in the morning. So I wake up at 4 a.m. from 4 to like 5.45. I'm doing that creative time. And then at 6, I'm at the gym. So I do exactly yeah. the same thing as you. Just I'm my the gym opposite, bit. man. If I can get to the gym every day at like 6.37, I can be there for a while because I shut my mind off and yeah. I just listen to music. And my body has a lot of energy to take over. Let's so go. like I love it at the nighttime. I've tried the morning time so many times. It just doesn't work for me. And that's okay. Well, really is what, what works for you. And for me, it's a complete opposite. After my day is done, I'm drained. I'm like, nah. Yeah. Whereas if I do it in the morning, I feel actually more empowered and more energetic. I'm like, yo, look at how much I accomplished before. But I love the aspect that the main thing we're talking about here, there's no right or wrong. It's about self-awareness, right? So yes. anyways, Alex, like I said, this is a great conversation. One last thing I want to ask you uh, is if anybody wants to reach out to you, if anybody's interested in your businesses, what is the best place they could connect with you? Uh, go to alexl.com and okay. you can find out about my businesses there. You can get a hold of me. You can book a, a, a talk if you want to book a talk, anything like that. If somebody's looking for some kind of coaching, I don't promote coaching. I coach a couple, a handful of people on certain things. Um, but anything that you need, alexl.com is the easiest way to get a hold of me. Beautiful. And what are some of the socials that people could reach you on that you're the most active on as well? I'm on like everything. Right. Uh, so I, I'm on TikTok. I'm on, I'm on Twitter now because my guys are just like, hey, you got to be on this. You got to be on that. I spent all morning this morning recording videos like I'm on any and any platform. Pretty much you'll find me. Beautiful. OK, so you're all on all the platforms. And what's your handle? I'm guessing Alex Lopez or is there something else? I believe it's 
Alex Lopez CEO. They okay. they created it. I just do the content and they take Beautiful. care. I don't actually post on it. They they do it for me. They're a great team. Beautiful. So everything you mentioned will be in the show notes below. Alex, thank you once again for being here and having this great conversation about real estate market, entrepreneurship, and more. And guys, stay tuned for the next uh, uh, conversation coming up on the Peak Performance Greatness Show. Have a blessed day. Thanks, Chris. Christopher Devian here. Thank you so much for listening to the Peak Performance Greatness Show. If you're a successful entrepreneur or entrepreneur who would like to be on this program, please visit our website at peakperformancegreatness.com. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot of your phone, text it to a friend, or post it on the socials. If you know somebody that could be a great guest, please tag them on social media to let them know about this program. And don't forget to include the hashtag Peak Performance Greatness. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We regularly put out new episodes and content. To make sure that you don't miss any episode, go ahead and click that subscribe button. Your thumbs up, rating, and review go a long way to help us promote this show, and it would mean a lot to me as well as my team. You want to know more? Go ahead and visit our website at peakperformancegreatness.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or my YouTube channel at Christopher Didier. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time. Have a blessed and grateful day. Thank you.